Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I, th- I think for me, it's the striving that I'm still learning, that I'm striving to get new skills, to uh, look at parts of myself that I want to expand. I'm very glad that I'm in this position to say, you know, that I'm still learning. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and this episode with Gail Jenkinson. What Gail is, in terms of definition, is something we discuss early on in the podcast, but we'll get to that. At the core of what Gail does is shoot extraordinary footage in some of the world's most spectacular environments, often as part of small elite teams. In this conversation, we get an insight into what Gail is and how she became what she is now. I didn't want to bring it up as I'm increasingly conscious of not dominating the conversations I have with women with conversations about feminism and the female experience of adventure. I should, and I'm trying to, ask more men for their perspective, but in this conversation, Gail brought it up herself. It's a fascinating insight into the realities of life as a woman working and often thriving in what is a male-heavy world. Before we begin, I'd like to mention that we're on Patreon. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and would like to access extra content, including InVision interviews and monthly sit-downs with me and a guest, then you can find us on Patreon at The Adventure Podcast. I'd also like to talk to you about Sidetrack Magazine, our sister publication. Sidetracked is an incredible quarterly journal that celebrates authentic stories of adventure and exploration. You can find out more at sidetracked.com. I'd also like to take a quick moment to push you in the direction of our charitable partner, the Martin Moran Foundation. They're a wonderful organisation working to get young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into the outdoors. You can find information about how you can support them on our Instagram bio at The Adventure Podcast. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us an honest review. They're a big help, and it really does help us bring the podcast to a wider audience. Okay, over to Gail Jenkinson. Thanks again for doing this. I think, as always, really, a logical place to start is just if you could introduce yourself, tell me who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Matt. It's lovely to be here. My name's Gail Jenkinson. I'm a director of photography and I generally work in natural history, documentaries, specialist factual adventure, you know, all those kind of worlds. Uh, I started in drama uh, and I kind of crossed over uh, for the desire to be more outdoors. (laughs) And... I think for those who don't know, because it is, it can be a funny title. What is a director of photography? Yeah, and it's also it's a quite tricky one in in the genre that I work in. So, director of photography is, uh, you know, the person that will be it sh- is should be the person that is in charge of the visuals 
uh, on a sequence, and that could be your own, could be others. Uh, and in my world, it's generally my own, that I'll be working with the director, um, a sound recordist, um, maybe an AP, very small teams. Uh, so that director of photography title actually is something that has come from that title's quite a high-brow title. And, of course, natural history, we're all a bit scrabbling around in the muck thinking that we don't really count. Uh, and it's actually really come from an agent of mine saying that he didn't like the title Camel Woman. And I said, oh, okay, uh, right. And, you know, I tried it. I tried it on. And uh, I didn't really like it either. But I was introducing myself as cameraman and then having the general kind of immediate well of course I'm not a man but you know that's the title it's kind of what it is camera operator is such a term that's used in other areas that's really uh, you know it doesn't give the credit due to the person that's doing the work uh, I did use camera operator for a while and then uh, 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 25 year old guys coming out of college were calling themselves directors of photography and I thought okay then uh, if this is the game we're playing then that's probably uh, you know, why am I not calling myself this? Uh, and it just became, it's kind of more commonplace now in natural history and documentaries to have that title. But as a drama, uh, you know, somebody that started off in drama as a trainee in a clapper loader, uh, it always does feel a little bit cheeky. <laughs> uh, but it's non, uh, it doesn't have the gender name associated to it and actually the rest of the world's perfectly fine with it to be honest yeah so that's where it comes from they're funny things titles aren't they because yeah. they're very important in some sense and not in others they tend to not matter on the ground but when it comes to getting work they're pretty important absolutely and i and a line i have used is i don't really care what you call me just call me with a job you know yeah. <laughs> so. exactly yeah so i think before i have lots of questions about all of that but before mm. we go I think it would be nice to get some context and maybe talk a bit about your background and how you got into drama and then transitioned out of it and why you mm -hmm. felt that need to step into natural history and traveling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I started this whole thing very late, to be honest. I, uh, I studied when I was a kid until I was 18. Then I went traveling. I just went traveling. Uh, ended up in you know in places for too long or just you know, I was just generally milling about and then I think at 25 I went to study photography in England at uh, Paddington and you know I was kind of just I, I think during traveling I thought what could I do as part of my mooching aimlessly around the world and it had become a bit aimless and a bit like a I felt like a fat tourist, you know, I wasn't really included in the day-to-day -day, uh, of life. So I was just, I wanted to find something. So I came back to England, studied photography and, uh, you know, enjoyed that for a while and started working in studios inside. And that wasn't going to be for me, you know, this uh, product kind of, you know, and I, I tried it all, which was great, fashion, photography, uh, food, you know, got involved in all those different areas, which is such a good discipline now that I look back on it. Um, but so I, so I did that and then I think I, well, actually I know what happened, the Twin Towers happened and I sat in a little flat in London and thought, 
I'm going to have to go and see some more of this world. You know, this is catastrophic, you know, what's what's happening. So uh, me and a boyfriend <laughs> packed up some stuff and just went off on another aimless travel. Basically, that's another thing that happened. You know, did, did another year mooching about, kind of not really doing anything. And again, during that journey, I was kept thinking, I've got to do something with this, you know, because I can't afford to do that. I mean, it's just sort of backpacker type of traveling. Uh, so came back again and then thought, right, and I'm older now, you know, I'm kind of 30 or something just been aimlessly mooching about and I thought I went on a very short course actually I went on a short course in Norfolk with a chap called Piers ah it's going to escape me um did the short course and and in wildlife filmmaking film uh you know you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was tape. We'd started in tape by then. Because actually when I was studying photography and all the work I was doing in photography, it was all film. You know, everything was film. And I'd started moving into the moving image a bit. Uh, and we were, you know, loading loading rolls of film. I'm, di- I'm, I'm going off track. I'll do this. Well, you'll have to pull me back. But... Nice, I like it. <laughs> okay. But so I, so I then went on this very short course just in wildlife filmmaking weekend. And at the end of it, uh, I was living in London, just nomadically, not really settled anywhere, and said to people, right, Norfolk or Bristol, where should I go? And thank God people said Bristol, because Norfolk's such a hike away. But uh, Bristol was the choice. So I just moved to Bristol. And I was, you know, I'm going to be like, I was 30, it was 30 plus and I started, and I went to the BBC, and I kind of walked in thinking, you know, what, you know, who can I work with? Uh, and it was actually it took me a year. So I was kind of sleeping in very small rooms, and it took me a year to start working as an assistant uh, on my very first job, which was with Alan Titchmarsh, and we were doing, I think it's called the Nature of Britain, and I was loading film for a lovely cameraman called Robin Cox. Uh, and that was my beginning of being in Bristol, starting in natural history was, you know, still loading. It was still film, so that was great. I was kind of comfortable in that, and then it became digital, and we all kind of went, oh, Jesus, ones and noughts. <laughs> How's this, you know, where's where's the actual file? <laughs> I really remember that, but I need to see it. We can't see it. We can only see the noughts, ones and noughts. Um but so that was my beginning into filming. Maybe we'll stop there. <laughs> and did it instantly grab you? Did you realise that this was what you were gunning for? Um, I, th- I kind of, yes, it did. It did grab me. Uh, I started travelling you know, so I started working and travelling and that was what grabbed me. That was like, right, you have a reason to do this traveling you've got a reason to be in these places um you know I kind of am only in it for the foreign travel <laughs> no I'm you know I'm I'm in it for creative being creative and and seeing places that I hadn't seen and that I often use this phrase you know going through the door marked private you know that ability to 
not have studied, not have uh, a reason to be on the edge of Mount Etna. There you are. We're only there for, we went up Mount Etna for half a day, just poked our noses over, filmed something and, and left and walked down again. And to me, that was just like, how, how lucky is that? How fortunate is that to be able to, you know, the other, I don't, maybe you can pay to go to the edge of Mount Etna. Maybe you can, but it would cost you a lot of money. And I don't, it's not on a general, um, you know, site that you can choose to go to do these things. Mostly you'd probably be a scientist and you would probably have studied for years. And and then you would get some reason why you'd be allowed to go somewhere and look at a certain object for a period of time and go again. And, And we're just not qualified in that way. And I always feel it's uh, quite cheeky. Uh, But you go and get some beautiful shots and show those to other people and that's the kind of justification of it. But yeah, that doormark private thing for me is always a treat. It's um, It's a really wonderful way to phrase it. You know, I've been doing it for 12 years professionally. I've never heard it phrased like that before, but that's it sums it up perfectly. Yeah. The joy, and I think it can bring us onto quite a few different kind of potentially interesting subjects around, you know, ethics, voyeurism, whether sure. or not there's justification to travel in the modern world. You know, what's the benefit? But I think you're you're absolutely right. You know, that is the privilege is you get to almost parachute into a location that most people would never have the means to go and see. Mm-hmm. And to be there, and not only that, but to have a healthier bank balance when you get home. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. You get to see something. You go on a big ticket holiday and you're getting paid for it. You have to work, of course. And, you know, one of the things is I don't see a lot of those things through my eyes. I see them through a screen or an eyepiece or a, or a monitor screen. And uh, that's, you know, that's the kind of price you have to pay. And and then you get a, uh, a wonderful director, uh, Andy Devonshire, is a wonderful, you know, nicest man in TV. I'm filming elephants on the Zambezi. And at one point he just said, okay, look, th- look through your eyes. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? This is, you know, he said, we got it. We've got all that. Let's have a look through our eyes. And she's like, oh, that's, you know, thank you. Have you struggled with that historically, being present? And I think, you know, with the... I should ask as well the pace of your travel, you know, because often I'm there for three to seven days. Sometimes it's six weeks, but mm-hmm. that history seems to be longer there. Do you tend to find that you just, it almost doesn't feel real? You're there, it's fleeting, you see it and it's gone or not? Not not really. What's always very um, apparent to me is it kind of takes my body a couple of days to arrive. You know, it's this that's plane travel, right? If, if we'd have done that by land, I'd definitely know I was there. But it it does definitely take me, I, I'm going to say a couple of days in reality to really know that I'm, my feet are on the ground where they are. Um, and sometimes you do get straight off a plane and somebody's like, so are you rolling? <laughs> okay, yeah, which is great. And I know I understand some things do have to be that way. But I think it's, if you, if you have the privilege the time to just sit, sit down for a second and say okay what's the vibe here 
you know, how does this feel? Just because to me, that's my job. I'm going to, I'm portraying back into the TVs of people in their living room, how it felt when I saw, when, you know, the object saw that scene. What is the emotion? So if there's that chance to just have a minute to look around, sniff and see, then I'll take that. Yeah, and that, again, is really interesting, I think. just I know the semantics might be boring for some people, but I am really interested in the whole, you know, the cameraman, camera woman, camera operator thing is interesting for quite a few reasons. Mm-hmm. Of the more obvious ones we might get onto. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not just a creative role, is it? Or maybe you think it is. Like, that you're telling a story, surely. Yeah. I don't think it is just about pointing and pressing the button. You know, I think it is about um, your impression, your relationship to the animal, the person, you know, how you move about the world, how you are uh, taken. You know, know, people are going to give you, we know this, just moving around as people. You know, if if I'm angry, if I'm in a, you know, funk then I'm going to meet angry, funky people that are just, um, it's just going to be a battle. Whereas if I'm chilled and got a, a more inquisitive mind, then those that's the responses I'm going to get. I think you get that with animals too as well, but um, definitely just within the environment. So I don't think, I certainly don't think it's just pressing the button. No. Somebody did say that to me at one once. Just press the button. I said, "Okay." <laughs> I tell you what, you press the button. All right. Um, but yeah, I can have a little fight. But um, that's hopefully considered maybe when a shoot might be planned in in terms of what is the subject matter, or you know, because we'll get onto it. We will. You know, you'll either get a negative response from somebody in how they think you're going to be able in a certain location, uh, what you were capable of. But, uh, yeah, so people have impressions of you. And I guess that's just up to the relationships you make. You mean in terms of crew? Uh, Yeah, crew or just, um, I think you said, well, you were saying about the cameraman, camerawoman, type of uh, conversation. And and I, you know, I was just saying about the environments that you work in. Uh, It's not just can you get there and press the button. It's about how you're going to be able to cope. And that may be that you're big, butch, you know, all of that kind of business. And uh, excuse my, uh, (laughs) you have a cap and a beard. Uh, (laughs) Is I'm that going to be stereotyped? <laughs> uh, you know, does that is that going to mean that you're going to be capable and able to do this job, cor- you know, correctly or however it, it's wanted to be? Um, so, yeah, there's all sorts of type of people in this world, and hopefully, all sorts of types of TV shows that need to want to be seen. Yeah, and I am very wary of what I'm wary of. I have this awful habit. 
that I'm trying to get out of only asking women these questions. And I recognize that actually what I need to be doing is starting to ask men these questions. And I have in a few podcasts, but I'm not doing it with the frequency that I should. And maybe partly that is I don't remember. And that's my own kind of accidental, subtle misogyny. But I'd be happy to be have that so kind of thrown at me. Um, and there's an element of it is also I don't want to bring it into every episode because that's mm-hmm. not what everybody's listening. But I think it's a really important point to make. And I guess you kind of started to bring it up. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd assume you were entering the industry at a point where it was beards. Yes. I mean, it still is. Um, you know, when I look at the make, you know, people put their pictures of crews out in such and such a place, and uh, it, that's a wrap. And I'm just like, geez, you're a diverse bunch, lads. <laughs> you know, and and that does get, and it and it is changing. It's glacial. I, I mean, I, I I have hope, and I sh- and sometimes I feel I have a negative uh, impression of it because. It's not changing fast enough for my liking or my or from my experience. It's not changing fast enough. So um, it is still very much a white, straight, male-dominated environment, especially natural history. Yeah. Most, yeah, of most. Well, adventure is exactly the same. Right. Okay. I mean, without question. Yeah, you know, you look at the last sort of major production I did. There were outside of on-screen talent. I think there were two women on the ground out of twenty. Sure, sure. You what know, were they doing? Uh, one was a doctor. One was a mountain guide. Right. Okay. Slightly different. And I mean, yeah. maybe, but yeah, we had a female mountain guide, which was I see that as ever so slightly progressive. But Sh- sure, because sometimes this this question's answered. No, we've got three women on the crew. Oh, what are they doing? Uh, they're cooking. Um, you know, one of them's organised our flights and everything else. You know, and to me, that's, if, if, you know, of course, all those positions needed as well. But it's not the answer. the The juicy spot spots are not, are, you know, cannot all just be filled by males all the time. Because you're just going to get the same old stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I said to you before, I won't talk too much, but I'm going to throw some opinions in now. I think. I, I sometimes wonder whether or not that is, you know, exposure and inspiration. So I fell into this world because I wanted to be a big, strong, brave, white bearded cap wearing man because I didn't really know who I was. And so I followed them. You know, sure. it's a role model thing, mm. but also some of the most effective, the, no, the most effective teams I have ever been in have been mixed gender or equal gender. And my closest friend and somebody who I've worked with on most of my productions for 10 years is a woman. And I think I am opening myself up to criticism here and I'm happy to by you or by others, but I think we bring very different things to the table. Those, it's a bell curve and that's not necessarily always the case, of course, but we do. I mean, I I tend to find that, you know, male ego is a very, very real thing and it gets in the way of lots and lots of proper decision making mm-hmm. and I actually just wonder I mean I should ask you are your opinions on this purely rooted in um wanting to see more women do the job that you do or is it a byproduct of your treatment and how you've been how you've experienced your career um okay so it's both so my treatment um has you know 
often been wonderful. You know, that is that example of working in a mixed crew, because it's always a mixed crew, right, for me, because there's always going to be some men there. Um, it just, the response is usually, oh, my God, this has been such a different environment. Uh, you know, it's, that's why you have a woman bouncer sometimes, isn't it? You know, it just knocks it down a little bit, right? Equally, you've got a bunch of women working together. You know, it's it's uh, it's a bit of an odd environment also. So I know I definitely have a position. It's not, and it is not just coming and pressing the button. I know I have a position within a crew sometimes because I know how it, because I know how it goes. I know that uh, I've usually got to have a battle with somebody um it's quite often for me somebody that's in terms of in charge of my safety uh <laughs> who has who I can see it out there they're like how come she's doing this you know and I'm like just get me in that position uh and they and they need to see proof of me doing the job well and that's you know I did this in photography people kind of don't give you any chance until you show them the shots and then they're like, oh my God, that's great. And then they're okay with you. So, but I, I quite often have a fight with somebody that's in charge of safety or something like that. Uh, and we need to go through it. And it's boring to me that we've got to go through this again, that I have to prove my position on this crew and why I'm entitled to be here. Uh, but that's okay, you know. I, I I see it coming, and it's and it's fine. And I can usually and I can knock it down a bit with me now as well because I'll I'd get a bit feisty and you know all of that kind of stuff. And I can now kind of go right, okay, let's let's work our way around this. Um, but so my treatment's been really quite good. Uh, occasionally, incredibly bad. And I've become incredibly upset about that and don't want other women to have to go through that. You know, there's no need for it. So without giving names or locations, are you happy to talk about what that is and what that was? Well, it's just that, yeah, I mean, it's just the, the it's, you know, it's just the over-talking, the not, you know, not considering your decision to be of any interest um, to, you know, I'm going to talk about something way back. Um, I was, we were moving a boat. I was in a, set, a position of safety. I was moving a boat and uh, this is not a film set. And uh, the boat was caught around a line. And I said, you know, we're dragging this boat around in the night. This boat's caught around this line. And the guy says, just keep pulling the line. Okay. Ten minutes later, a guy says, boats call around the line. Everybody stop. And I'm just like, what the? You know, I said that. I literally said those words. Um, but that's that's just repetitive. That's just, you know, so often that you just... Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately it does knock you down. And that is something that I unfortunately have felt that after time this constant knocking down this constant this repeated behavior does finally get to you and that's upsetting because you think well you know I'm a I am actually I'm a very strong woman uh I don't think that's the reason why I've been able to survive in this career 
but uh, I think it's probably a factor. And it really upset me to feel that it was getting to me. Uh, it's going to be getting to younger women for sure. And I can't, you know, I get tired. I can't keep fighting that fight so much. So that's that has got me down. I don't know where you where you how you deal with that. I, do you know what? I had to listen to Dee's chat, and it's the same. You know, it's all. It's, you could be a woman in science. You could be a woman in all these areas. We, we at some point in our lives, and I think this probably actually starts much younger. I'm watching my niece do um, uh, the 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 run at school sports day. You know, there's they're ten years old, maybe younger. They're all on the start line, boys and girls, uh, and they run this race, fifty meter race together, don't they? And they. Feel and she feels absolutely fine. She looks. There's a kid next to her boy. Doesn't matter, right? They're just like on the start line. They're going to do this race, <clears throat> and then at some point, I don't know what that point is. The girls stop standing on the start line, or they think, well, well we're going to have to have our own start line. We're not mixing with the boys so much, or they just somehow you just see it. I'm not capable as much as he is. Some girls get to keep that for a little bit longer. Uh, but that then starts to be the words that you hear, <clears throat> what you get told at school. Well, that's only for the guys who you see on the TV doing it. You know, the amount of time I watch the making of at the end of a show and I'm just like, you know, and I'm in the making of, I don't want to be in it. I don't want to be particularly on the camera, but I'm like, you have to film me. This cannot be, you know, a bunch of white guys who got it on the last day kind of making of and and as those young girls grow they just start hearing these negative or not positive go you can do this kind of words and that just becomes inbuilt in people like d i mean i'm looking at her going christ you feel this too um that i don't know how we i don't know how we rise above that <laughs> you know well. I'm obviously not an expert, but I've spoken to a lot of people on this mm-hmm. podcast and otherwise. And I just think a big part of it is how we raise our children and the next generation. <clears throat> I mean, I, I've i been interested in this subject for a while and I think it comes from, and I'm, I'm, I'm increasingly happy to be honest as I get a bit older, like my ingrained misogyny, mm-hmm. which I don't feel guilty about because no. I was taught it. And, you know, I come from a particular type of background. You know, I'm from a a fairly rough part of England. I didn't have a particularly rough upbringing, but, you know, big boys don't cry, you know, you're brave, et cetera, et cetera. And I was told to be all of these things, and I saw the girls and the women as this. And so it was learned behaviour. So it's actually, it's, it's consciously choosing to change our ways of thinking, which I was... I don't know, I forced myself to do it. And I think actually Emma, who worked with me for years and we still work incredibly closely together, we're directing a film together right now, she's had a, a profound impact on me um, in that regard. And it's it's been, in, with, speaking from a man's perspective, I think it's about being willing to be more vulnerable and being the male ego. And I'm also married to an incredibly strong, highly successful woman, more successful than me, and that I'm not being self-deprecating. 
you know, in every way, she's more successful than me um, in terms of her career. And that's been quite, you know, um, what's the word? Just grounding, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, <laughs> we could talk for five hours about this. Sure. And bring in, but your your point is completely valid and I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, for those of us who are the cliche of the strong, brave outdoorsman, it's accepting that there is a likelihood that even if it's a fraction of a percentile, that some of our behavior is not helping. Um, well, yeah, yeah I'm, it's hard to, to think that too. I mean, it's, and I've had some really good men around me, you know, at work. You interviewed JJ Kelly, really, you know, so positive. Mm. None of that didn't give, you know, completely free to do my job. Um, And he would have grown up with a sense of entitlement also, right? That I I didn't somewhere along the line, you know, I work work on entitlement a lot in my life. But um, it's, you know, we have a lot of allies in this business also. It's just, it's kind of just in the background of the general... <clears throat> who is capable, you know, this rufty-tufty world. And I actually, you know, if we find a woman working in a particular area, I think about Diane Abbott, right, when I when I think about this, is, you know, Diane Abbott is a, a woman of colour working in politics. I don't care about her politics. Don't, you know, I'm not, not interested in that. But that woman has got to a position of... of her job, she's fought hard. She's got dedication. You know, I, I, I'm, if I'm picking a team, I'm, I'm picking Diane. You know, I'm going to or some women or anybody that's had, you know, that's not of the normal status quo that's getting into a position. I, I'm actually kind of like, why is this not thought of something when people are picking crew? You know, like. Well, do you know what? They're t- I'm telling you, they've got to have fought hard to be where they are. Certainly not giving them on a plate. So they kind of give, I'm going to give them extra points for that. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, it's slightly tricky. It's a, and again, it's potentially controversial, but I don't, I just don't care anymore. Um, (laughs) There's a difference between equality and equity, right? Like that's the thing that I think is often misunderstood. And, you know, equality is saying I'll hire the best person. I'll hire the best CV. Uh-huh. Take the names off them and I'll hire the best CV. That's equality. Yeah. And that's okay. Equity is saying we've hired nine men and we've got one space left. And this is not a great example, but so we have to hire a woman. We're going right. to hire a woman. Right. Or, 
oh, we're a team of eight and, and three of them women and four of them are men, we need last spot, we're going to hire a woman. So we've got a 50-50 split. And then saying, well, we're just going to. Mm-hmm. Because if we want to change the industry, if we want to create more role models, if we want to you know, enforce this gender um, balance, we have to do that. And obviously the same thing comes down to you know, race and religion and sexuality and all of these things. And I don't want to sound too, I was accused of being, I had a one-star review recently for being woke, just to right. throw you know, their language out there. But I just, I don't see wanting to include other people, not necessarily at the cost of white men, but how is that anything other than positive? See, you know, those, those nine CVs could have been great, and maybe you're saying this last CV of this woman's is not as great, right? But let's look at skills. Let's look at, okay, what is our point process that we're saying these are the greatest at this? Let's look a little bit broader at people's skills, what they can bring to the table. You know, we don't have to be, I don't have to be a man. I've gone through that whole thing, you know, right? I've got to do it as big as, as, big as men, uh, you know, as well as men. I'm beyond that. It's just what else can I bring to the ta- table here? Or it's just the table needs to be a little bit of a different layout so that my skills, other people's skills are recognised as being valuable. Yeah. You know, so it, 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 that whole thing doesn't have to be, well, she doesn't have quite the same skill level. You, you have, you're not even looking at all these other skills that are actually really valuable, you know, like you say, making plans... I've been plenty of times on shoots with men fighting over who's going to do it this way. Yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah, and then then I think that often, again, I'm I'm being slightly stereotypical here, but often it's the soft skills, actually, that don't make the CV. Sure. They're not evidence-based, that are the absolute asset and ally. And I think sometimes, and this is where, you know, I'll go controversial the other way, sometimes there's just a cold, hard reality to physicality. Sure. So you know, I'm I'm generally able to carry a bit more than some of my female colleagues. That's one of my strengths. I can carry bags uphill. You know, it's one of my only skills. So I need other people around me who have all of the other skills, crisis management, you know, uh-huh. medical, you know, maybe camera operation, maybe sound recording. Like just because I can carry a heavier bag, it doesn't make me more capable in that environment, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, I like you, I've experienced that on almost every production I've ever been on. But I think to kind of segue it slightly, like yeah. what's really interesting about you is, you know, there isn't too much information about you online. So when I did my Googling and my research, you know, and I, ah, I'm going to say it deliberately to be incendiary and you're very welcome to shout at me. Um, I was like, well, I thought, why have I not heard of you? Because you kind of... I don't know what to say. I'm too scared. Say it, say it. You know, when you picture world-class underwater camera operator DOP, you know, most people would think of like the Doug Allens of this world. And I was like, my brain, I'm so happy to, I'm not happy to admit it, but I'm going to. I was like, oh, she's might be like a female Doug Allen. And then I was like, no, you can't <laughs> think like that. You can't think like that. But outside of you responding to that, which you're very welcome to do, I'm really interested in your transition from working as Alan Titchmarsh's, you know, camera loader to like, the, you know, your CV and your skill set when it comes to your 
physical capability is extensive and not to be downplayed. How did you get through all of that? And what was your inspiration moment, you know, the finger clicking point where you thought, I'm going to go on all these dive courses, because that is not an easy path. Well, first of all, I love Doug Allen, so we're all good. That's okay. I'll, I'll take that. Um, but so I, you know, my first thought there is with a lot of massage and, you know, walking, getting home and falling over, you know, a lot of effort, a lot of physical effort. Uh, but this started in drama, you know, I was working as a trainee on a drama. It was the hardest, this, that's a hard job, you know. And um, I'd get, you know, come to the Friday night, I'd be whacked out for the weekend. Monday, back, back, you know, nobody can know. Um, and physically, yes, definitely things are demanding. And I had a moment with, I was, so I was assisting somebody and I'm in Tunisia with a metal tripod, heavy metal tripod that were sort of dragging around. And one of the local fixers, you know, a guy said, let me carry that. And I said, no, you're okay. And we sort of had this push me, pull me uh, fight over this tripod, which is when I went, hang on. Yes, you can. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, why am I feeling this need? My shoulder's already bruised and broken that I need to carry this tripod. So that was one point in the process of, right, hang on. Let's not have to prove every single thing. And that didn't seem to matter as well. As soon as I dropped that, I was like, oh, that's okay. I can do it when I need to do it. I can still do it when I need to do it. Uh, so in, in that way, that was, you know, that was kind of a good learning curve. But I am physically able and I'm, uh, and I agree with you, you know, guys are definitely, uh, you've got a longer arm length, right? You know, you can pick up more stuff. Or, or, you know, definitely there is a physical difference. Uh, but the amount of times when I've been lugging stuff around and there's the guy that's supposed to be doing it's out the back smoking a roll-up, you know, or his feet are hurting, uh, you know, the amount of <laughs> expeditions I've been on where the failures start to come through. Why is that? Why have you got really bad blisters on your feet? Because you didn't wash your feet, did you? <laughs> Every now and then, you know, let's put some talcum powder on. You start mothering people because those things are important. If you're going to survive it, if you're going to survive this expedition, then you're going to need to wash your feet. But isn't that fascinating? I'm, I'm really sorry that we're sticking on the gender thing so long, but even, and I'm not criticising it at all, but your use of the word mothering. Oh, no, it's an unusual one for me, as I'm not, but... Um... No, but I just think it's interesting because I would never say, oh, I had to look after this 23-year-old and he hadn't looked after his feet, so I fathered him. Right. I think that, it's one of those gender things where it's like, because you're in a position of um, greater knowledge, greater experience, it's almost, it's like, it's not even valued as just being that specialist. It's just suddenly you're their mother. And it probably is true. Yeah, it's just interesting. And I think it's ingrained in all of us now. And but. first words, you know, I did I did say mothering, so first words are usually true words, aren't <laughs> they? You know, and, and there's been plenty of times when I'm, you know, you take an extra puffer jacket because you might want to use yours one when yours is wet. Now you're giving it away to somebody because they didn't bring enough, enough clothing. Uh, you know, you kind of do get into that. And that's, you know, it's what we call in that a soft skill you know, that I'm going to keep somebody else potentially on the crew working because I've noticed that they're 
starting to fail in a certain area, you're getting cold, whatever it is, you know. Um, I'd just call it effective teamwork and recognising that you're more experienced than most of the people on the crew. And being a team player, you know, that's one thing definitely. I'm into I'm into a team player. I'm into a beautifully oiled team, not a gritty, grindy, fighting, who's going to get, you know, I'd rather take a lower role and be in a good team. Yeah than be at the top barking orders. Yeah. No, and I think, you know, let's let's fully segue here because we've we've talked about this for a long time and I'd like to know more about you, I guess. And, you know, when I did do my Googling, there's an amazing shot of you with peers, you know, holding a big underwater housing and you're stood there looking totally gnarly in the middle of nowhere. And when you read your, you know, qualifications and what you can do, I mean, I, you know, Laura pitched you to me. She said, shall we interview Gail? And I did a 10-second Google and just replied, yeah, great. You know, that's all right. it took. And I say no very, very regularly. Right. So, you know, and that, where I'm going with this, I suppose, is you are like a super seasoned specialist. At, and I think maybe it's the, you do you, but it's the ability to work in all of these remote locations, your underwater capability, like... The fact that, you know, most people can't survive in these locations, let alone thrive and do a job to a standard that gets them hired for blue chip productions. Sure. I think it's, I think maybe it's, a friend of mine said to me, my superpower is flexibility. So it doesn't really matter if it's snowing and then, oh, okay, the boat didn't arrive or, you know, that things change, that I could kind of just roll with it. And I think that is a good skill of mine that I can just uh, carry on and roll with most situations. Uh, don't get particularly phased with things, uh, but really enjoy stuff. Like I love culture shock. I love, uh, you know, having these moments of whoa type of stuff. So I, kind of, I guess I, you know, I strive for them. And, you know, swimming with sperm whales, what are you going to do? It's like, right. I mean, I'll tell you when that that shoot began, because I'd never done it before. Um, and I get in the water and I see this locomotive coming at me, two of them, massive sperm whales. And I've got the camera and I, um, you know, I'm holding my breath, but I know my mouth's open underwater because I was just in awe of these things. I filmed it. It wouldn't have been the great shot, greatest shot, but it's one of those moments really when I could have gone in without the camera. That's what I should have done. Um, but it was just such a treat that you're then going to... Um, so my freediving ability is quite good, but I was actually impressed how good it got. Uh, but when you're looking at something like that, it's going to give you the reason to, you know, to dig a bit deeper, isn't it? Uh so that just became a, an absolute pleasure in itself just to spend time in the water with, <clears throat> in an environment that you're not really, you know, kind of supposed to be there. And for so long, you know, that's a real treat. I didn't know you were a freediver. Yeah, well, so the, the sperm whales was only freediving. You weren't, you weren't allowed to scuba dive with those. So uh, in the area that I was in. So this was in Dominica where you, you can't scuba with them, so you had to free dive, uh, which is lovely because it's, it's quiet and um, they have a different response to you. 
you know. That's fascinating. And freediving is just like something to take into the rest of life. You know, to, this start, so this job became came to me kind of in the in lockdown. So we, I'd had quite a lot of period of lockdown, not working at all, not even able to get into the water, and I'm just lying in my cabin doing breath holds. You know, uh, and then realizing you take this into other parts of your life to just hold your breath, calm down, try and calm the mind. Right. That's the thing. So that's that's been a, a lovely new uh, life moment for me. I've got this whole thing about um, neurological pathways in the brain that, uh, you know, when you're five, the pathways grow and you have loads of them and they they search out uh, even when you have experiences, sounds will make pathways, uh, all sorts of things will make pathways. And as you get older, that stops uh, a bit more naturally, but they will carry on for your entire life. And uh, when you make a new pathway, so... Um, I was in a I was in a very small uh, car. wasn't a car crash. It was one of those off road vehicles uh, in Alaska, and uh, we rolled it. Basically, it was really naughty. Uh, we were messing about, and we rolled it. Uh, and my first thought was, I've just got a new pathway, you know. And the, I love those things when you're when something happens to you, or you know, a new experience that you get a new pathway. That's uh, that's that's what I'm. That's where I'm. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> Those. That's my uh, hopes. It's really interesting how some people seek out and generate new skills to support their career. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like actually what you're doing is <clears throat> seeking out new things that you're interested in, uh-huh. and then bolting those onto your career. Yes, I think that's true. I think that's true, and and. Um... I think that works for me in some ways and and not in others. Yeah, my uh, what I d- desire in life uh, is quite broad um, and I have, yeah, certain things that I definitely want to be around, uh, that I want to do, experiences I want to have. And, yeah, I just wanted to find a job that meant I could have experiences um, and on the flip side to me is, so I've got two quite particular sides to me. One side that's, that's very, <clears throat> uh, um, you know, active and conscious. And then another side to me that's very artistic, uh, can spend time in my subconscious. And, uh, I can, to bring those two together is a very uh, happy meeting place in my brain. Uh, that I can, instead of fighting those two sides of me, it's like fighting the safety guy, you know, instead of fighting those two sides of me to just say, right, these are my, and maybe that's my, maybe that's my um, USP or, or whatever it is that I would hopefully have that moment with work that it's, is, I've been able to get into a position that may be considered, uh, you know, in an extreme environment, but then bring a creative element to it. It's almost, I don't know if this is right, but um, it sounds like your own nailed down, dialed in version of like flow state. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Um, Yeah, so that's what I'm, 
and that's my that's what I'm striving for. And you can find that easily now. I can find it more easily now that I have admitted to the side of me that's much more creative, and I'm not having to fight with the metal tripod. You know, with that I can. And maybe that has is because I've got a little older and that I don't have to prove myself as much anymore. Um, and but I still think I do. So I is, that I can admit to myself, right, stop proving that and just let's think about creativity and in what state you can get to in that. And I think it's quite immense. Um, I've actually gone absolutely wild and gone to art school for the first time in my life. So, yeah, so I am um, uh, doing a foundation in art and I love it. Uh, and it's taken me a long time to try and come out of some some strict uh, disciplines that I'm in and just uh, start chucking paint around. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm probably in some sort of transitional period. I'm a frustrated artist, basically, that likes travelling. <laughs> <laughs> Has that always been something you've done or is that completely new? No, it's not completely new. It's always something I've done, but I've kind of kept it down. And I think that's due to the environment. That That's the negative side of the genre of television that I've been working in, that that's been suppressed by myself, you know, but it's certainly not been encouraged. Yeah, how much room is there? You know, you and I work in very different corners of this industry with occasional crossover. How much is there room, how much room is there, sorry, for your creativity? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's a work in progress. <laughs> but I'm is not it? done. You know, I'm 53 years old and um, I've only just begun. And I love that. You know, the most is a statistic the most unha unhappy people in England was where it's from are about 45. They're at the top of their game. Their kids have gone off to university. You know, they look at their partner and kind of go, oh. Uh, and I, th I think for me, it's the striving that I'm still learning, that I'm striving to get new skills, to uh, look at parts of myself, that I want to expand, uh, that expansion, you know, just still still thinking about expanding my mind and how can I do that, I think is a, I'm very glad that I'm in this position at my age to say, you know, that I'm still learning. Yeah. No, I hope I'm able to say that in a few years. Um. And how does your, I, you know, I'm not looking for the detail on this or being personal, but like how does your lifestyle work? So are you away for long periods of time, then home for long periods of time with nothing to do professionally? Um, yeah, yeah, some, yes, exactly. So I'm either, yeah, they usually are quite long periods. Um, I think five weeks is, is good. Once you start knocking over that, you you know, you're probably going to start to lose it. Um, uh you know, I will have long periods at home. And that's where I just thought, listen, I need to, I need to feed this other part of my brain, you know. Uh, so that's what I'm doing in that time. Walking, you know, walking the trees. I don't have children, uh, which I'm very uh, glad about. 
<laughs> Excuse me, um, but no, it's a choice and it's a choice that I've made and a happy one. Uh, so I, you know, sp- spend a lot of time in nature and uh, with family and friends and just, you know, seeking out other thoughts and ideas, really. And do you still, I mean, you hinted at it, but do you still, how much of your motivation now, this is very personal, I'm sorry, how much of your motivation now is intrinsic versus the need to please and impress others? Uh, that's so hard, isn't it, to not want to, you know, who who are these, who's it for? What, you, what you're doing this for, is it for your, is it for someone to say, well done, that's amazing? Is it for the behind the scenes photo to be like, look, I went to this place and aren't I rad? Um, is it to feed your soul of having a, a creative moment? I think it's that, you know, I, it's when those worlds align that you get to take a shot when it's, so pleasing to you <laughs> that uh, you moved, they moved, everything kind of happened at the right time. Yeah, I, I'll strive for that. Yeah, and you maybe the answer is the same, but you earlier said um, you were commenting on the things you're more broadly seeking in your life. What are they? I don't know. Uh I don't. Yeah, I don't really know, and I'm and I'm pleased about that. I've always said this. I could change career at any time. I'm not going to. I like this. You know, I like the work that I can do, and it gives me the freedom to have another part, another side of life. You know, so uh, you know, I want to. I've been. I've worked in every continent. I'd like to do it all again. You know, I've 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 been to Antarctica twice properly and um I'm really glad about that and the first time I went I was I thought right I can I can pop my clogs now you know that was so amazing I mean I cried we when we we were on a boat we were on a boat there for five six weeks and when we set sail back for land I cried you know I was bereft that this is something I'd seen uh and after once I got back I just thought I need to spend the rest of my time trying to get back there and a friend of mine said a really nice thing to me uh, that because quite often when you do come back from a shoot, it can be a bit you, you're a bit bereft, right? You know, and you need to download in your head all the stuff that you've seen. Uh, and she said to me, you know, you there I am down in Antarctica staring at a massive tablet or iceberg, and uh, I breathed out and I breathed in. You know, she was like, your DNA is there, and it's in your DNA. Isn't that nice? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, super nice. It's something that doesn't get talked about. I must have said this at the end of five or six podcasts, and I am, I'm not going to nail my colours to the mass with this. I've got a rule that I'm not allowed to start writing a book until I own a house, which I don't yet. But um, I think somebody, I hope it's me, needs to write a really short book called How to Come Home. Right. Because the number of conversations I've had with people, and personally, where just just personal thoughts you just kind of come home and that's yeah. supposed to be fine and then you go to tesco's and i mean this is a conversation I've, I've had before and i won't give you the boring detail now but i came home once and sat in the milk aisle of tesco sat on the floor and i cried uh-huh. and it was with hindsight it was it was 
probably 50% a bit of PTSD and 50% loss. Like, yeah. I don't want to be here. I want to be back there despite how hard it was. Right, right. I mean, I think the fact that you even had that moment is really valuable because you could have just slipped into, oh, pick this milk and you and all of a sudden all that would have drifted away. And I think that's the shame about flight. You know, if you'd have done that travel back by land, uh, you you would have been able to work it through, right? Uh, but that, it's, it is, isn't it? It's wild. There you are in the middle of nowhere. You've got no people. And you think this is never going to, you're never going to stop this feeling. And then soon enough, you're in an airport and you're surrounded and you start to forget. And I don't know how to hold on to that or whether we should hold on to that. It's a tough one because you don't want to be coming back going, I don't want to be here because this is also a choice, right? Where you are is your choice. Well, it's the, I just think it's about decompression. You know, it's that decompression chamber and it's, I I want to be here. I've always said I'm in love with two things which are wholly incompatible. And those two things are traveling the world for a living and experiencing it, which I'm obsessed Mm -hmm. with. And Mm -hmm. my family and having roots. And it's not just my family. It's my family are incredibly important to me, but actually being of a place. Yeah. That's incredibly important. And those two things aren't, aren't compatible. No. Transition from one to the other requires a decompression period, which is not easy to find. No, I agree. And I think that, so that is something that's happened. In lockdown, I came back to the New Forest, which is where I grew. Uh, I was born, uh, I came here when we were five years old. And it was a real, like, God, really, do you want to go back there? And I'm a bit surprised. And actually, immediately, it's just like, it's the trees, you know? I grew here. This is, um, I feel it. And I'm surprised at me for that because I've been kind of nomadic, you know, so much living in other countries, not, you know, not having a, a family of my own. You know, I've got my family that I am still uh, the baby of four kids <laughs> uh, with, you know, my mum and dad that are, uh, you know, my dad's 91, mum's 88. Oh, yeah, I'm super lucky. Um to be in a really solid family, uh, still get kicked around by my brothers and sisters. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's I think that's also part of why I why I kind of um, feel quite young. But um, that roots thing. Another friend of mine, he said, "Well, it's your roots. You 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 feel good there because it's your roots." So that's really helped me go away and come back again. Because like so those experiences, the experiences are so massive, and you really are. I think this is why the safety guy doesn't like it. You know, I'm always, I get into the best position, yeah? It's not like I'm not behind the tree or I'm not. It's like, well, put her in pole position. He's like, what? (laughs) You know, did she fight hard? Yes, she fought hard to get here. So let it go. But um, you also get to be in the prime position to see these things. Uh, And that is is hard to let go. But for me, I'm just like, well, that was so lucky. I feel so privileged to have seen it. There is loss, but I feel so privileged to have seen it that I'm just like, okay, when next? Yeah, just like a little doggy wagging a tail, go, where are we going next? <laughs> yeah, no, I totally relate to it. And there's, you know, there are thousands of lifetimes worth of experiences to have and we only get to do it once. So yeah. most of it. Yeah, yeah, don't complain. 
turn 50 and kind of go, wow, Jesus, this is awful. Some people don't make it, you know? Yeah. You've got to, you've got to, uh, you've got to make uh, the best of everything, really, if you can. Yeah. Um, right. Well, it segues us beautifully into, I always, as you probably have heard and you might have prepared, which is naughty. Um, I haven't. So now I'm thinking I should have done. Excellent. Um, I always ask people the same two questions at the end of every conversation. So my first one is, what scares you? Oh, what scares me? I mean, lions. <laughs> I dream of lions. I've seen lions. I've never really filmed lions. I think it's a problem that I haven't spent that much time with lions. But my in my dreams, I see lions at times. And it does, yeah, and it does scare me. So uh, that, but in terms of what scares me, uh, that's it. I'll stick with lions. Can I do that? Yeah. Is that too simple? Yeah. But there's probably to... something about the lion. I want to know what the lion is. You know, there is, it, it, it sidles up to me in my dream. I have to pass it. You know, I have to walk past it. And there it is just staring at me. So there's something else where, you know, we can't get into full therapy, Matt. But <laughs> well, we could. <laughs> um, I mean, that's it's so obviously a metaphor, isn't it? For yeah. What? Yeah. That's amazing. If you ever write a book, please call it I Dream of Lions. Okay. Okay. It's <laughs> an amazing line. Um, what brings you hope? Um... <laughs> Yeah, trees falling, regrowing, seeing recovery, uh, seeing uh, reef recover, seeing how we can damage things so drastically and after the fire, the roots, you know, start to shoot up. The areas can recover really well if we can help it along um, and try not to hinder sort of too much. That gives me that gives me hope, you know, kind of nature's growth, birds, blackbirds singing. You know, I really want to find this, and if anybody can help me, there's a poem. A blackbird sings. It sings the song to another animal, and the animal that animal then croaks its song. Uh, the, and then the then the lion hears it and makes the roar, and then the elephant hears it, and this song travels around the world. And I heard this in lockdown. Uh, it was on the radio, and it was just a poem about the and the blackbird started singing, and I cannot find it. And I have searched and searched and searched, but I'd really like to hear that. But in terms of hope, that blackbird song and how it can travel around to the rest of the other animals in the world uh it gave me hope and i want to know what it is amazing well that's uh, good homework for everyone <laughs> um okay we'll leave it there that was wonderful thank you thank you very much i enjoyed that Thanks for listening. For more information, head to theadventurepodcast.co.uk. If you want to get in touch, then you can email me at matt at terraincognita.studio. And finally, as always, please do leave us an honest review on iTunes. 
they're immensely helpful and help us to reach a wider audience.